Luke mentioned that we have, um, I, I've, Luke sent me a message earlier in the week, and uh, what, what are you, what's the big themes, what are you, um, title and all that sort of stuff for this, this Sunday, and I said to him, it's the architecture of community. Uh, that's the title I've given this week. I did have an alternative title that I was considering for this sermon. Um, should I get a tattoo? <laughs> Pretty similar. But I, I decided to go with the original title. Hopefully, though, um, by the end of today's message, you might still be able to answer the tattoo question. And the reason I almost changed my sermon title was because of one verse in our passage today and pretty much I think the only time that I can recall this particular verse being quoted or mentioned is when someone is asking about Christians having a tattoo or maybe smoking or taking up some other high-risk hobby. And this has mostly been the verse that I've heard given in response. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Don't you yourself know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Right? 1 Corinthians 3.16 And so I wondered, is that what this verse is about? Is this the Bible's anti-tattoo verse? Or is the biblical reason why you shouldn't smoke or why you shouldn't take up sword swallowing on the weekends or something else? This verse. Well, let's read the entire passage and ask the Spirit of God to show us clearly from His own Word what He wants us to conform to. In it, all right? So grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 is where we're up to in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to read from verse 10, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter, down to verse 23. Have you found it? Good. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, According to God's grace that was given to me, I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And that is what you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders. For everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Let's ask God's help. Lord, we've just read your word. We believe your words bring life. So Lord, give us life this morning, we pray through it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, hearts that are soft, so that we might receive what you want to give us this morning through your word, and that we might be changed for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I always like to start a message with some sort of foundation, somewhere to start from, somewhere that we can sort of build from. So let's, let's do a quick bit of context for a moment as to where this passage sits. The passage that we've just read, 1 Corinthians 3, starting from verse 10 down to 23, it really flows out of what we were talking about last week. So if you were here last week, try to recall it. If you weren't, you get an opportunity to maybe go back and um, watch the live uh, stream, the recording if you need to. But in summary, we talked a lot about misplaced identities, where we lose focus on, on our worth that is established or built in Christ. So in Jesus, we have this new identity. But sometimes we become distracted and we, we misplace our identity we confuse our identity and we try to absorb what we believe to be the worth of other people. So we establish other people as being very worthwhile people, um, very valuable people, and because we're going to associate with them, well, that must make us worthwhile and valuable as well, right? So when people said, hey, listen, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos, what they were really saying is not so much, I like that guy, is they were actually making a statement about their own value. They were actually saying, because Paul is of such value and worth, I too am also of much value and worth, because I esteem him so much higher than all the other people. And so they would form little camps around not only who they looked up to, but how that made them feel. I'm better than other people because I think this guy is the best, right? So Paul wanted to correct that faulty way of thinking by applying the gospel directly to their hearts. He didn't just say to them, hey, stop envying one another. 
Instead, he showed them that Paul and Apollos were just workers in God's field. He's, he used analogies like, um, you know, I planted, but Apollos watered. And he was talking about that sort of word picture of a farm. And he said, I, we're all just farmers here. We, we're all just workers. And it's God, remember, that does what? He makes the growth. Right? The person who put the seed in the ground didn't make the seed grow. The person who came along and put water on the seed, they didn't make the seed grow. God made the seed grow. It is God who gives the strength. So Paul finished that little section that we looked at last week by just sort of summarising again. He says, you, and he points to the church in Corinth, and by faith we know that he points to us as well, and he says, you are God's field. And then he completely messes with our mind and shifts the analogy. He, he changes the word picture because he said, you are God's field. And then immediately he says, you are God's building. You are God's building. So hold on to that word picture, God's building, because I think it really helps us to think clearly about what Paul is going to say to us today, what the Spirit of God is going to say through Paul to us today. So before we jump straight into the building word picture, let's try and make sense of the anti-tattoo verse. I think it might be helpful for us to set a clear picture of where Paul is heading in his thinking. We're not going to try and answer that question yet. We just want to think clearly about it. So to do that, we're going to, we're going to begin at the end. All right? We're going to see where Paul lands with all of this. So here's how I've titled this little section, this point. All right? The point is, don't fight over the scraps when there's a feast on the table. Don't fight over the scraps when there is a feast on the table. So let's read from verses 18 to verse 23 again, refresh our memories. Let no one deceive himself. You found it? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise, the wise of this world, are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So here's how I would try to summarize Paul's conclusion. At the end of this passage from verses 10 down to verse 23, this is where Paul ends up in his thinking. Don't be dumb, he says. All right? Now, I know the more biblical language is foolish. 
says, don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. But basically saying, don't be dumb. Why would you fight over the scraps when there is a feast on the table? Let no one boast in human leaders. That's what it says in verse 21. Why? What, what reason does Paul give us to not boast? And remember, the boasting here is not so much about saying, I think that guy is so amazing. The boasting that he's talking about is actually, I think I'm so amazing. In fact, I think I'm more amazing than you because I support and love this particular leader. That's the sort of boasting that Paul's been talking about. Let no one boast in human leaders. Why? Well, his reason is for everything is already yours. You've got nothing more to gain by boasting in some leader. And so he gives some examples, right? Whether that leader is Paul or whether that leader is Apollos, or whether that leader is Peter, and then he switches not only from leaders, this is why I know that Paul is not talking about sort of just hero worship. He says, even the world, right? Everything is already yours, he says. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, basically saying, you're not thinking big enough. You've got the world. God has given you the world. Then he says, life, even death, things present in this life, things to come. He says, everything is yours. Not only that, Paul goes on to say in that little sentence, not only is everything yours, everything that you are and everything that you have, he says, you, you belong to Christ. So let's get this straight. Everything is yours. And then he says, over the top of that, Christ has placed his stamp of ownership. And, and Jesus himself has looked at your life and everything that you've been given, and he says, you are mine. But the sentence still doesn't finish, because then Paul says, and Christ belongs to God. So let's run that in reverse. Here is God, the eternal one, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all things, the one that needs nothing, the one who is the most powerful, holy, righteous, the one that angels bow down before, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That God holds Jesus and says, you are mine, and Jesus holds you and says, and he is mine as well. And she is mine as well. And all these things, the world, life, death, everything present, everything to come. And Paul says, so why would you be so dumb to look to some 
petty leader somewhere and say, I feel better about myself because I'm with Paul. And Paul says, open your eyes. You have so much more than that. Right? Don't, don't sell yourself short. Life and death and things present and things to come and Jesus holds you and God holds you and all of that is wrapped up. It doesn't get any better than that. Right? That's where your identity sits. And so the question is, why would we scrap over the bits that fall on the floor? God has laid out an immense feasting table. And there is the choicest of food and the best wine. I mean, you will never have tasted the crackling on a roast pork I don't care how good you think yours is or your grandmother's was. I mean, get the, the smells off the table of heaven would just drive you insane. The food that's there is just, it's not so much the quantity of it, but the quality of it. Everything is going to be the most amazing. God has laid out a table of feasting for you and the picture here is of people scrounging around on their hands and knees looking for the breadcrumbs that are underneath and going, that's mine. I feel better because I've got six breadcrumbs. And, and God's saying, just pop your head up onto the table a moment and see what I've really given you. Why, why scrap over this when this is available? And isn't that what we do sometimes? Scrap amongst ourselves about who has superiority, who's better? And God says, if only, you, if only you could see what I've given you. Everything is yours. Why would we try to find our identity in second-hand personalities when Jesus is on offer? That's Paul's point. That's where he lands in this passage. That's where he, he gets to. But how does he get there? All right. How does he move from you are God's building... That's where we were. You are God's building. And by the end of this passage, he's saying to us, don't scrap over the the, the garbage that falls down on the ground. Enjoy your identity and everything that Jesus has given you. Feast at the table of Christ. You are God's building. Feast at the table of Christ. What's the journey? And can we conclude that because it's only Jesus' identity that really matters, that anything that we bring to the table doesn't really count? Can we conclude that from what Paul's going to say? Well, let's go back to the beginning and walk the road that I think Paul's going to lead us on. And we're going to go back to our you are God's building word picture and see if we can trace what Paul is saying. So my next point is, back at the beginning, Paul goes to saying, build something that will last. Build something that will last. What he's doing is he's extending his word picture. Remember he said, you are God's 
field to begin with. Then he says, you are also God's building. So now he's going to extend that by sort of applying a bunch more, uh, the proper word is metaphors, but just more word pictures to help us sort of picture in our mind what he's talking about. So let's read together from verse 10 again. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, you are God's building. Verse 10, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation. There's the word picture for building. Laid the foundation as a skilled master builder. That's what Paul said. I, Paul, have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. And he says, remember, it's according to God's grace. And then he says, and another person has built on top of that foundation. And then he warns, but each one of us is to be careful how he builds on it. No one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. So he's still talking building pictures here, right? Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that has been built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. Let's try and follow the logic here and see if we can build an image of what it is that Paul's getting to. We know that he's driving towards right the concept of our identity being found secure in Jesus alone. So really the question should be, what is this, the building picture, have to do with that? And also, can we answer our tattoo question yet? That's really important. <laughs> All right, so verse 9, let's just bullet point it. You are God's building. That was verse 9 from last week. Verse 10, second bullet point. Paul says, I'm a skilled master builder. I'm glad Paul feels so confident. Paul is a skilled master builder, he says. Verse 10. Also in verse 10, Paul says, Paul laid the foundation in the church. Paul laid the foundation. In the last part of verse 11, you can see that he says very clearly, the foundation is Christ. So Paul's the master builder. Paul laid the foundation. What is the foundation? The foundation is Christ. Then, if you have a look in the beginning of verse 11, we can see that Christ is the only foundation. There can't be a different one. You, you can't build, he says, on top of something else that isn't Christ. It's not a foundation. All right. Also in verse 10, we can see this. Other people, not only Paul, but other people can now build on top of the foundation that he laid down. So Paul's the master builder. 
Paul laid a foundation. The foundation is Christ. There isn't another foundation. You can't say something else is that foundation. It's only Jesus. And now Paul says, but you know what? Other people can actually come and build on top of the foundation that was laid down. This is where the warning comes in. Second half of verse 10. But whoever does build on that foundation has to build with great care, great caution. Now, we also know from this word picture in verse 12 that there are all sorts of different building materials on offer for us to be able to build with. Um, What are they? Gold, precious stones, silver, costly, worthwhile, quality materials. Then there's also wood, hay, stubble. Sounds like the three little pigs. All different things that we can build with. And and the way that we will know whether what we built with was of any quality, he says in verse 13, the quality of our workmanship will eventually be tested with fire. We know a lot about that in Australia. We've seen now a number of seasons come and go in Australia where we've seen catastrophic fires sweep through. And, And what looked like dense and rich bushland, the fire sweeps through and... It's heartbreaking, isn't it, to walk into those areas and see what is left. The fire, we know, consumes. And if there was a building there, it doesn't matter how grand, how uh, impressive it was, what's often left? I love going for drives up into rural areas, it's a hobby of mine, looking at the landscapes and animals and, and occasionally you come across just sitting on the side of a hill somewhere on a little bit of a flat spot maybe, just a single pile of bricks that's been stacked and you can see the remnants of what? A chimney, a fireplace and a chimney. That's all that remains. Everything else is being consumed either by fire or by the ravages of time. Paul says what's built on the foundation will be tested with fire. And when it's tested, some of it will remain and others of it will be consumed. So in verse 14, we read that some work will survive and whoever built that, it says, will receive a bonus. Receive a reward. That workman will receive a bonus. Good job. Verse 15 says that some work will not survive and whoever built that will receive a penalty. They will experience loss, it says, but that worker won't get the sack. All right? He says he will still survive. He will still be saved, although saved through fire. So what's the point of all of that? I think there's a couple of takeaways, a handful of takeaways here that I think are worth considering. First one is this. There is an expectation here that Jesus is the only foundation of the church. Right? We, let's be really clear, I know I've said this a lot of times, but just in case you're new to this church, or you're watching it online, we, the people here, I'm going to make you uncomfortable for a moment. I know that 
you know, if you ever go to Bible college, they tell you never to do this. I failed that lesson. So I, I seriously want you, this is not a hypothetical thing, it's going to make you uncomfortable, but I, I actually want you to swivel around your chair and look at the people in this room. I, it's easy for me, I'm standing here, I'm looking at you. I really want you to swivel around and look, wave at each other. I know it's awkward, <laughs> hello, all that sort of stuff. Wave at each other, all right, I know it's a bit awkward. I tell you what, if that's the most awkward thing in your Christian life at the moment, you can be grateful. The people that you just looked at, the people that you waved at, whether you know them really well, whether they're fairly new here, whether you think, oh, they're the, they're the OGs, they're the original gangsters, they're the, they're the original crew, you know, they've been here from the very beginning, they're the hardcore, whatever it is. All right, the people that you just looked at and smiled at, we are the church. We are God's church. It's not this building. This building gets called a church. People say, oh, I'm going to go up to the church. I, I get that, I do. I don't think that's a big problem. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it, but this, is, this building is the place where the church gathers. This is the place where the church worships. This is the place where the church sings. This is the place where the church proclaims the word to one another. This is the place where the church comes to remember their saviour. This is the place that the church goes out from to see the community come to know Christ. But we are the church and Jesus must be our foundation. All right? There is an expectation here that Jesus is the only foundation of our church, that we are God's building. Number two, there is also an expectation that while we don't add anything to the foundation, we can't add anything to Jesus, he is enough. Paul says, we do build, we get to build on top of him. We get to build onto who Jesus is and construct something in our lifetime. Our lives as God's building must spring up from who Jesus is and what the gospel is about. Right? That's our foundation. That should make us look like it. It takes the shape. Have you ever seen when someone's laid a foundation in the new estate that's just been opened up? You know, some turkeys come along and knocked all the trees down there and they decided this is a fantastic place to put a new estate in and they lay a foundation out and even from that foundation you can sort of go, I, I can see a picture of what this house will one day look like because I can see the shape of the foundation. The building takes the shape of the foundation. Our church must look like the foundation. Number three, while we are still God's building, it says, we are also builders. We are God's building, but we are also builders. There's an expectation that each one of us are going to contribute something to the building process. And the last takeaway that I think would be good for us to consider is that this passage tells us that we need to build something that will last. 
that, that we need to invest wisely into each other. Work that will outlast our, our lifetime. Work that will produce an eternal effect. And so we build with the knowledge that one day our work will be tested. What you're investing into the people around you right now will one day be tested. Will it last? Will there be reward? And so we want to work elsewhere. Paul encourages Timothy, hey, be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. We want to work with that sense of, I don't want to stand and see everything that I've done come to dust and nothing. I want it to last for the sake of God and for the sake of the people that I built into. So we are God's building built on the foundation of Christ. It takes that shape. And we are to invest in each other's lives as the church in ways that last. Now he's going to extend the, the metaphor even more because this is no ordinary building, he says. This is no ordinary building. Remember, you are God's building. I think because we live in such an individualistic age, we so often read the Bible through the lens that says, this is about me. So we say things like, the Bible is God's love letter to you. And we mean that by saying, it's very personal. And yes, God is an immensely personal God. He is. But we also need to read his word with some balance. Because the Bible is less a letter written to a person and more a letter written to a people. It is written to us first and me second. Now, this is how Paul explains this idea when he writes to the church in Ephesus. You don't have to turn to it, I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built, pick up the same language that Paul uses here, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. To the Corinthians, the passage we're looking at today, he says this, verse 16, Don't you yourself know that you are God's temple? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that's what you are. So together, together we are God's building. Not just an ordinary building. A special building. 
A building set aside for holy things. In other words, a temple. So we, together, are a building that's set aside for God, who by His Spirit dwells within His people, amongst His people. And each of us are like a brick or a stone that God is placing into the construction and building a temple, a holy building that He dwells within. We each contribute a unique role. We're placed into the structure. And Paul reminds us all this morning, don't you know that you are God's temple? The place where God and His holiness dwells. Don't you know that the Spirit of God, he says, dwells or lives in you? You see, the local church here in Raymond Terrace, other local churches beyond the local church, both in its gathering like we're doing this morning and its going like we do all throughout the rest of the week, it is the place where God has chosen to take up his dwelling place in this community, in this world. Here, among us. It could be that we were meeting up in Finnan Park this morning, then we would say here, among us, in Finnan Park. Here, among us, whether we're in this building, meeting in the RSL hall, doesn't matter. Even when we're going and we're all scattered throughout the week and we're doing our jobs and we're talking to our neighbours and we're walking to work and having a conversation with a guy who's dying or whatever it is that you're doing, God says, you're my temple I'm dwelling among you, Raymond Terrace Community Church. All right, that should deeply sober us. Should also excite us. All right, Emmanuel, God with us. It's far more than a Christmas carol. It applies in March and June and July and August and all the other months, just as much as it applies in December. Where God chooses to live makes that place holy. God's temple is holy. His church is holy. And so if anyone thinks that they can destroy God's temple, I wouldn't stand too close to them. God says, if you try to destroy my temple, I'll destroy you. God is jealous for his people. God is protective of his people. Right? Verse 17, God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Not because you are, but because God is there. Do you get that? So how should we understand verses 16 and verse 17 in light of the rest of this passage? Jesus is the foundation of God's building. All right? This is the architecture of the community of God's people. Jesus is the foundation of God's building. Everybody else here, everybody else, it doesn't matter whether you've got a title, whether you lead a ministry, whether you preach from a pulpit, 
everybody else is just a builder. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying, you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. None of us are a foundation. Only Jesus can be that. The rest of us, we're builders. But builders who need to take care that they are building on the right foundation. Don't go looking for another foundation. All of them are inferior. God's building, that's us, right? That's us, his church, is a special building. It's a holy building, a temple. And anyone who tries to destroy it will face the fury of God. So don't think that you or anybody else, Paul says, is more important than you are. Don't judge things like the world judges them. That's foolishness, he says. God has given you everything in himself already, so don't chase after lesser things when you've already got Jesus. That's the logic of this passage, right? So I'm going to finish now by asking the question that I nearly titled this whole sermon on. Should I get a tattoo? Man, if the answer is wrong, no, I'm in all sorts of trouble. Should I get a tattoo? Let's try and answer this question. Well, the answer is possibly, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe you've got a really good design in mind. You've been scrolling through Pinterest. You've been talking with people, you've been imagining, you've been sketching, and you've got a a really great design for a tattoo. Maybe you've even got a, a really worthwhile reason why you should get a tattoo. And maybe you've even got the conviction before God that says, it's okay. I feel like I'm, I can stand before God and with a clear conscience on this issue, then here's my advice. Yes, go get a tattoo. My advice, though, especially if you're under the age of 25, is this. Find the design that you really like and then wait two years. You might change your mind. Okay. What if you don't have a conviction that a tattoo is a good idea? Or maybe you just don't like them. Oh, disgusting. I hate them. Don't like them. Or maybe you don't agree with them. Maybe you don't have a conviction before the law that it's something that you should do. Then here's my advice. Don't get one. You may even feel a spiritual conviction on the topic. That's fine. But please, whatever you do, don't quote 1 Corinthians 3.16. It has absolutely nothing to do with tattoos or sword swallowing or snake catching. (laughs) But it has everything to do with we have a responsibility to build into God's 
building, God's holy temple. We have an expectation to carefully invest what God has given us in our hands to to build something that will last so that our identity and your identity rest solely on who Jesus is and not all the other scraps that we end up squabbling about that fall onto the floor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you sent your son and in him we have everything you've given us life eternity you've called us your children you've given us a new name Lord give us eyes to see what you've given us let our hope and our comfort and our identity rest in who Jesus is our foundation and then as we build into the lives of others around us Lord help us to build with caution help us to build on the foundation that is in Christ alone with with materials and and energy and effort that will outlast our lifetime we want to hear from you well done my good and faithful servant. That will be our reward. And we long for that day. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.